Friday, July 29th, and this is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me, and yes, we survived last week's trip to Las Vegas, and yes, I made my 6 a.m. flight out of Vegas. I'll spare you the details, if if uh, only because I don't recall all of the details, but Matt Norlander, tell me yes. this. If somebody would have asked you at, say, 3.30 a.m. inside Hakkasan with the lovely and talented Kim Kardashian standing just a, a few yards away from us to predict... Uh, whether I'd make or miss my flight, how would you have wagered? Would you have bet on me, or would you have bet against me? Uh, three to one odds you were not going to make your flight. You beat those odds, which was remarkable. Um, was remarkable. It was uh, it was quite the interesting night, and I turned to Jeff Borzello at a, at a certain hour, and I said, "Dude, I got to get out of here. Make sure that man." gets into a cab or an Uber and that was the last I saw of you. <laughs> and uh I did genuinely wonder and then when did I you check you must have texted the group that you were in Atlanta, I guess. <laughs> and I was like, all right, thank God. Um but it wasn't without uh incident because apparently uh, you wound up losing one of your bags. I presume you got that bag since then. <laughs> yes, I did. I, I did. Uh, I didn't lose my bag. I will not take responsibility for that. Delta Airlines lost my bag. Yeah. Del- Delta also recovered my bag. Everything was fine. But check this out. So I was so thrilled when I woke up in Atlanta. I was on a plane. I had one of those red Delta blankets on top of my head. I completely, I apparently just got on the plane, just covered myself completely up, and slept all the way to Atlanta. So I landed in Atlanta, and I sort of opened my eyes, and I, I look around, and I, they say, hey, welcome to Atlanta. We've had a time change. And I was like, yes, I, di- I did. Like, I did. Because if I could get on the flight from Vegas to Atlanta, there's no way I'm missing the flight from Atlanta to Memphis. Like, I should be able to – like, I'm, I'm, I'm home, basically. And so I get to Memphis – and I had two bags. Um, I had my golf bag, of course, and I had my normal bag with, like, my clothes and whatever. And so my golf clubs come through, and my other bag doesn't come through. And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and it just doesn't come. It's just not there. It gets to a point where it's very clear it's not there. So I, I have this moment. I go, okay, man, this sucks. Delta uh, lost my bag. And then I go, or, oh, no, did, did I just leave my bag in my hotel in Las Vegas? Like, it's possible. Like, I went back to my hotel, took a shower, changed clothes, grabbed my golf clubs, and just left. Just left my bag there. So I walk up to the guy in Delta Baggage Claim, this sweet old man, and he says, uh, and he says, yeah, how can I help you? I said, okay, I got to um, – can you do me a favor? He said, he said, sure. I said, can you look up by my name uh, whether I checked one bag or two bags earlier this morning? And he said, well, like, how many bags did you check? And I said, I, I, I don't know. That's what I'm trying to get you to help me with. He said, you don't remember if you checked one bag or two bags? I said, no, sir. He said, do you have your boarding pass? I said, no, sir. He said, do you have your baggage claim tickets? I said, it's, it's a struggle, sir. I don't have anything other than, like, my golf. I got my golf clubs trying to see. It's possible I checked my bag and you guys just misplaced it temporarily and you'll get it back because you're responsible. Or I might have left it in my hotel room. He said, okay, well, where were you flying from? I said, Las Vegas. I was on the 6 a.m. flight. He said, okay, I understand what's happening here. And uh, he, was yep. able to, he was able to look it up very quickly, and he found that, yes, I had actually checked my bag, and Delta delivered it to me just, just shortly thereafter. So shout out to Delta. Shout out to Devin Downey. Shout out to me for making that flight. It really was, and I talked about this earlier uh, in the week with some people, top five achievement of my life. I, I, I don't I'm not sure how it happened. It's like if you're like betting on baseball and you've got a team that's down like you know four nothing in the seventh and you go ahead and take them on a live line anyway and then they come back and win that. Like I was I was down four nothing in the seventh. There was no way I should have been able. to uh, I'd say more like twelve to one. <laughs> I was down twelve one in the seventh. It was an all time rally. <laughs> it <Really>? might. <laughs> I really want to say that's the situation. <laughs> what a trip. What a night that was. And uh, yeah. we'll do it again next year. It was a good day. Hey, it was a good time. Best I can remember. It was a good time. Do you have a good time? I no, I, I very much did. It was, a, it was a very good time. Vegas is always a good time. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of work kind of burning up, up both ends there. Um, but it was, uh, it was very fun and a pretty fulfilling July. Wound up seeing a lot of top prospects, 
uh, talk to a bunch of coaches on a bunch of issues. We'll have our series where we poll a bunch of coaches on a whole bunch of stuff uh, that will be coming out uh, in a little over a week. So that should bear a lot of interesting results as well. So, uh, no, it was, a, it was an interesting July and a fun one and certainly ended on a, an entertaining, predictably entertaining <laughs> uh, note. Uh, so you recap the Las Vegas in a column that is posted right now uh, at CBSSports.com. You focused, among other things, on the nation's top ten players. And uh, among the players you wrote about is Mitchell Robinson, who's a top ten big, who is committed to Western Kentucky. You uh, see all of the things that everybody else sees in him that makes him a top ten prospect in America, makes him a likely lottery pick someday. Just a massive get uh, for first-year Western Kentucky coach Rick Stansberry. For those who don't know the backstory. Uh, Stansberry, of course, the former Mississippi State head coach, was an assistant the past few seasons at Texas A&M. He started recruiting Robinson while he was at Texas A&M. Then he got the Western Kentucky job, hired Shimon Williams, who is Mitchell Robinson's godfather, added all up, Mitchell Robinson committed to the Hilltoppers. He's going to be the most talented player, assuming he follows through with his commitment. And at this point, people ask me all the time, do you really think he's going to go to Western Kentucky? I really have no reason to think he won't. So, like, yeah, I'm just going to assume he's going to be there the same way I assume everybody who publicly commits to a school, you know, in July is, is, is I just assume that they're going to, to hold true to their commitment. They, always, they, they obviously always don't always do it. But my point is I don't have any reason, and there is no reason, to think Mitchell Robinson won't actually be uh, playing at Western Kentucky, which means he's likely going to be – um, the most talented player to enroll at a CUSA school uh, probably since Will Barton enrolled in Memphis, uh, while Memphis was, of course, in Conference USA back right. in 2010. Um, for those who don't remember, Barton, like Robinson, was a, a top-ten national recruit. Again, this is unconventional. But I wonder if it might work out well for Robinson, and here's why. Um, and this is something you and I have kind of talked about before. In Conference USA, he's really not going to be at any real risk of being exposed. He, he'll be so much more – talented and athletic and just taller and bigger than everybody else in the league that he he should just overwhelm the opposition and I know this is something that when John Calipari was at Memphis he used to first off he just used to recruit to I'm I'm John Calipari you know I'm coach Cal but one of the things that he would sell or the staff would sell uh, prospects on is like you're, you're going to you're coming to conference usa we're still going to be on national television we're still going to be ranked we're still going to have an opportunity to go to a final four but you're also going to just dominate the competition consistently uh from january to march because you're going to be so much more talented than the people you're consistently uh playing against and the to the extent that you and i've talked about this it would be as it relates to thon maker and scalabissier um, you know, after Thon went to a prep school and still was able to become a top 10 pick while Scal went to the SEC and was, uh, un, you know, exposed on some level and slipped to the bottom of the first round, people started to wonder, and you and I talked about this, you know, is the Thon maker route the way to go? If you're a, an elite level big and you're worried about uh, your draft status more than anything else, is it wise to spend that year between high school and the NBA draft doing something other than playing high major uh, Division One basketball, because if you're Scalabissier, if you're, um, I don't know, before him, Cliff Alexander, uh, you might risk getting exposed, which risk uh, your draft status, which could cost you literally millions of dollars. And while going to Conference USA isn't the same thing as as going to a prep school, it kind of like it's it's at least in the same mold. Like the uh, the likelihood of a top ten national recruit being exposed in a league that doesn't get top one hundred recruits uh, seems small, much smaller than say if he were going to the ACC, mm-hmm. SEC. What do you make of all this? Is, is it, could we look up the say next February, uh, or actually it wouldn't be next February? It'd be like two Februarys from now, right. and go, uh, oh wow, you know Mitchell Robinson, like he he had this figured out because he went to Western Kentucky dominated in, you know, inferior opposition in Conference USA and then became a top eight pick? I, I, I think you use the term overwhelm. I think that's a good one. Um, that, is, that's what he'll do. He will overwhelm that level of college player. With, without a doubt. I mean, this is a guy that we saw. I'm pretty sure you were at that game with me at Peach Jam. He based, now, he, he, he lost the head-to-head battle and one-on-one battle, but he was unafraid – uh, in going after DeAndre Ayton, who was the number one pick in the class of 2017. So uh, if he's already kind of got that kind of, uh, uh, you know, 
confidence, and I wouldn't say it was necessarily arrogance, but uh, if he's got that about him now, uh, going against a guy that's very much predicted to be the number one pick in the 2018 draft, then I don't think he'll have much of an issue in Conference USA. I think the potential for bust with him is low. Um, it is interesting uh, that we have a player of his caliber going to Western Kentucky, um, and it is why one of our Candid Coach's questions is which hire was the best of any offseason hire for any school. Um, and absolutely, Western Kentucky getting Rick Stansberry has already uh, warranted a few mentions uh, with coaches I've spoken with. He will be a, a boon to that program. And by the way, he will, I, I doubt he will, he'll probably be the most highly rated one that Stansberry gets, you know, between now and then, but he won't be the only one I think of significant impact. So I, I think that that program is going to certainly alter uh, its reputation and reputation within uh, and around Conference USA. Uh, and, but, and he's like, like legit, it's like seven feet. I mean, he is, it, it he's is a definitely, su- super athlete. Yeah, he's an anomaly in, in that regard. And uh, yes, right now, according to 247 Sports' overall composite, which takes the rankings of every uh, credible major recruiting service and basically averages them, he is the number 10 prospect in the class of 2017. Um, it, I was in the gym for the DeAndre Ayton-Mitchell Robinson game at Peach Gem. And uh, at least in my opinion, undeniably, Ayton got the better of him. Like, Aiton got him pretty good. Aiton was yeah. awesome that game. Like, rebounding everything in his area, uh, scoring around the rim, scoring from the perimeter, passing the ball in a way that I had never seen him pass the ball and didn't know he could pass the ball. Like, Aiton is awesome. I don't know if he'll ever play in college, but like, I don't understand. As much as I love Michael Porter, um, I don't understand how anybody could have seen DeAndre Aiton at Peach Jam and not go, that's the guy – um, that's the number one player in the class. But I, I will say, like, Mitchell Robinson had some moments where it was like, whoa, okay, okay, yeah. I, I, I see this. And, you know, in Conference USA, and, and no disrespect to Conference USA, let me make, make, make it clear what I'm saying, um, he'll be a top 10 player in that league. There probably won't be another former top 100 recruit in that league. Like, when, Mem- when Cal and even Josh Pastor really had it going at Memphis while that school was in Conference USA – you would you, Memphis would consistently have like twice as many top 100 recruits as the rest of the entire league combined, and um, you know Conference USA has 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 downgraded since then. Um, there's no more S, you know SMU's not in there anymore. Houston's not in there anymore. Memphis obviously isn't in, in there anymore. So you will have a, a top 10 national recruit at Western Kentucky, and then probably. Uh, no, I'd say zero. I think you can safely assume zero other uh, former top 100 recruits in the entire league. So I, I just think he will, you know, from an athletic perspective, from a uh, talent perspective, uh, the word we used was ver- uh, the the verb we used was overwhelm. I think he's just going to over overwhelm people uh, because he showed signs of that this summer, just being able to overwhelm uh, inferior prospects and in some cases uh, comparable uh, prospects. Sticking with recruiting for a minute. Uh, some recruiting news yesterday. Uh, Kobe White, who's a uh, top five point guard in the class of 2018. So we're talking about a kid who's getting ready to be a, a high school junior committed to North Carolina. And that's interesting, if only because you know Carolina's been having to battle it uh, on the recruiting trail the past couple of years because of this NCAA case that's been lingering over the program. The allegations have been lingering over the program it feels like forever, but the case has actually been lingering over the over the program for years, and it has affected um, recruiting. Famously, Brandon Ingram, who of course was the number two overall pick in, in this past NBA draft, uh, would have gone. He and these aren't my words; these are his. He would have gone to North Carolina if not for um, the, the the NCAA investigation. He was worried that maybe Carolina would be at risk of not being able to play in the 2016 NCAA tournament, and while uh, and so he knew that would probably be the only year he spent in basketball he didn't want to spend it at a place that that might be at risk of missing the tournament as you know and everybody else does Carolina wasn't banned from that tournament the case was delayed um, either for for pure reasons or or other reasons but it was delayed uh, which allowed Carolina to go to the national championship game where they lost to Villanova Um, but you know I've talked to people on that Carolina staff and while they are confident the NCAA isn't going to to ban them from a postseason other schools are consistently telling kids 
uh, be careful. You don't know. They don't know. Don't let them mislead you. They're, like for every every kid they sit down with and they say, it's cool. Go read the notice of allegations. We're not in there. Women's basketball's in there. The school, we're not in there. Roy Williams isn't in there. You got 10 other programs saying, yeah, they don't know what they don't know for sure. Nobody knows for sure. Be careful. And so it does look like they are starting to get to, they're, they're starting to have their message received a little a little better. Like if not, there's really no reason for for Kobe White to commit uh, this far in advance. So it does suggest that that it, 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 maybe not recruits in general, but at least at least one top five point guard right. uh, f- feels confident that what he's hearing from the Carolina coaching staff is true, um, that if he enrolls at North Carolina, he's going to be able to play in the NCAA tournament. I would qualify it as a significant commitment. Now, it is just a verbal one, so there's nothing binding. But 90% of the time, if you get a top 100 kid to commit, they will wind up going through with it and uh, be on campus for freshman year at that school. So it was it was one of those things where, you know, even within college basketball, it wasn't a huge headline. Um, but it, I, would, I would qualify it as a significant commitment for Roy Williams and his staff to get a quality player like that in 2018 to help establish that class. Uh, certainly something that I would uh, – that I think that Carolina was – fans were waiting for, I guess. And, and they got it. Before – I don't know where you're going to pivot here, GP, but I do want to hit on what you wrote about – um, I almost wrote about this issue last year, and I think uh, I don't know. I, my I think I was just too buried in writing the Harry Giles feature, so I didn't get to it. So you ended up writing about it, and I got it in. I was like, "Damn, I wish I had written about it because it is a very worthy topic, um, and you've gotten huge response from it." About the, and this is this is definitely something where I think a lot of fans just don't really care because they don't. There's no real impact on them, but within. The business of college basketball, it's becoming more and more of a uh, of an issue, and it and I think it's it's about hitting critical mass here. And I've even got a story to share. But you wrote about the packet racket, which is basically during the summer recruiting period, and even during you know April when coaches go on the road to watch recruits at tournaments and games. There are organizers of these events, and the organizers can range from the highest levels, where you've got Nike running the Peach Jam, which is considered the most efficiently best run event in all of recruiting. And then you've got small, tiny, one-off events uh, where people that these coaches don't know or haven't met or connected to AAU coaches are running tournaments or what are now morphing into combines Mm -hmm. where coaches are having to pay to just even get in the gym and see the players. The issue here is that the prices can be insane and coaches often cannot afford to not attend these games because they are connected or need to be connected to an AAU coach because that coach is often a pipeline to a recruit. So it is a uh, it can very much be a dance with the devil, one that most coaches would not do. Uh, I can tell you, I've, I've been talking with a lot of these coaches over the past two years, GP, uh, most of them would not even – engage in this kind of stuff but they often have no choice i'll let you share a few of the stories you have but i've got one that uh that a coach actually coincidentally told me in vegas a problem that can happen is okay coach this is a coach at a low major school Mm -hmm. he shows up to this event at eight in the morning in las vegas which no coach wants to be in any gym at eight name in vegas it is definitely some of the hardest parts of the grind and so you pay to get in you only have to go to this one game to see one player and it's at 8 a.m. Well, guess what? He goes and he pays, and the other the other team doesn't show up. So he doesn't know that. The team doesn't know that until it's 8.15, 8.30, whatever, and the other team's just not going to show up. There's just not going to be a game. That coach doesn't get his money back. Mm-hmm. And, and these low-major schools don't have $5,000, $8,000 in the travel budget and the recruiting budget to be just forking over $300, $500, $700 for these packets which, by the way, oftentimes, even at really good events, okay, for example, the Fab 48, which we go to every single year in Las Vegas and is a very well-run event. Even then, I watched games this year, and a player that I, that I, was, that I wrote on for CBSSports.com, who is a four-star player, Jermaine Samuels, who plays with Expressions Elite, a team that was at the Peach Jam, even his name doesn't match up with his jersey number at the event. There are oftentimes that are players on the floor 
that aren't in the rosters. And that's a very well-run event, but it's inevitable with the nature of these tournaments and players that are able to switch which AAU teams or summer league teams that they're playing for, you can't always get it right. So the problem is, even if, if that's the problem or if that's one of the issues, you shouldn't even be charging this amount of money. So that's kind of an overview, but you wrote on it. I'll let you kind of expand on it. It was a very, very good story, and I know that there are just every single coach is probably has read it, will read it because it is it is something that seems somewhat unfixable because the NCAA can't truly legislate what these independent and quasi privately run events what they can do and what they can charge. That's exactly right, or at least that's exactly my understanding. You know, when I um when I typically write a column, I uh, I can anticipate what the reaction will be. Like, ooh, man, this is going to get a lot of attention, or eh, this is just an off-season basketball column, uh, or, or something in between those two things. And yet, I was I was I was taken uh, by surprise the reaction to this column because it wasn't like I I spent five weeks working on it or even five days. Now I've collected stories over years and years and years of doing this. Um, but it was basically like, I, you know, Wednesday or Thursday of, of last week, I was like, you know what? Um, you know, I, I got enough people talking to me about this. I'm going to, I'm going to actually write about this. And I didn't even spend a lot of time on it. It was like 500 words at the top of my weekly inside college hoops column. And then I posted it on Friday night because I was like, late because we were in Vegas. I was running behind on everything. And, um, and it immediately started getting a lot of attention. And what I realized is that I underestimated the, um, how the story would be received because these aren't new stories. This isn't a new phenomenon. Like you and I and, and people who are inside the sport have been aware of this and talking about this for a long time. And what, what I realized is nobody's really ever like uh, packaged it and, and delivered it to um, the college basketball fan like the I, I even saw guys who cover college basketball like beat writers for certain universities who were like wow I didn't know this was going on or wow I'd kind of heard about this so uh, I, I think my blind spot here um, was one of those things where you're so close to it you just assume everybody knows the deal and it turns out not everybody knew the deal so it resonated in, in two ways one with college basketball fans who yeah, I think don't really care if schools are getting ripped off or athletic departments are getting ripped off, but they are um, forever fascinated by this underworld of amateur basketball. So it resonated with those people. I, I, they're like, whoa, what? They're charging what for coaches to get into a game to watch what? So it resonated there, and then it resonated with college basketball coaches because at the high major level, they pay the money because they just they got the money that like it doesn't affect. Like even if Kentucky has to spend ten thousand dollars a July on packets and and right. B, and BS, it does. It's it's, it's like ten thousand dollars is nothing to a basketball budget at a place like Kentucky or North Carolina or Ohio State or so on and so forth. Um, but they still think it's insane. Like those coaches pay it and whatever, but they still think it's crazy. And then at the low major level and Division two, II, Division three, NAIA, and the women's level, it's it's like those coaches. I, I dozens and dozens and dozens reached out to me, emails, Facebook messages, text messages. I was getting text messages from people I didn't even know who were like, they'd say like, hey, I'm a, I'm a, a Division two coach at this place. Got your phone number from so-and-so. Just wanted to tell you thank you for writing that column. This something has to happen here. This cripples us because it does. It cripples the low major programs and the Division two programs, Division three programs, and the NAIA programs. And so – Again, just to sort of make sure everybody understands exactly what we're talking about. And the columns are posted at CBSSports.com or on my Twitter feed. Um, you know, in July, there's three five-day evaluation periods. Like the first one starts on July 6th, which is a Wednesday night uh, at 5 o'clock, and then it runs through Sunday at 5 o'clock. Then the next week, same schedule. Next week, same schedule. Um, the first week's highlighted by Peach Jam. The last week's highlighted by uh, Las Vegas. And there's these NCAA certified events all over the country. There's, there's ones that are well-known and the top players are consistently there. There's ones that are uh, not known nearly as well. There are um, literally hundreds of these things. Literally hundreds of these things all over the country. Um, and so coaches need to have to go to these places to ev ev either evaluate players or show their faces to players that they already know that they want, that they've already offered or that they've already get, uh, secured commitments from. So what you have over those three weeks in July, those 15 days in July, are college coaches, head coaches and assistants out on the road consistently going into these gyms every single day 
from 8 in the morning till midnight uh, watching high school prospects. And these events are typically run by private citizens, by private businessmen. They've become uh, – it's, it's become a, a business, and it has been this way for a while. So what will happen is um, – I'll just tell you a, a, a very specific story. There's a guy named Jeff Snyder, and his name came up a lot when I started talking to basketball coaches, college coaches, because I would um, – once I knew the gist of what I was writing, I started reaching out to, to guys and saying, okay, give me the worst – Give me the worst example of exploitation. And Jeff Snyder's name kept coming up. He runs some – he's the president and CEO of some company called uh, Big Shots or Big Big Shots, I guess it is. And um, so he – on July 6th, the night of, at 5 o'clock, he held something which uh, was called the, the Big Shots All-America Camp. And you basically get a group of, of players – um, and they're they're working out like you could call it a combine. That's the way college coaches can uh, refer to it. Basically, like a, a poorly run, totally unnecessary combine. Um, but if you're recruiting one of the kids who's there, you got to be there. So they he charges you two hundred ninety five dollars to buy the packet. You cannot enter if you're a Division one coach without a packet. You have to buy the packet to get into the gym, and the packet costs two hundred ninety five dollars. So you pay two hundred ninety five dollars. And you walk into the gym, you're there for a few hours, and it's a total waste of time for everybody. Next morning, that's over with. That was a one-day deal. Next morning, Thursday morning, uh, there's something called the Big Shots One Camp, something like that, right? And that's an event that's going to cost you $295 to enter because you got to buy the packet to enter. There is no general mission for Division One coaches. you got to buy the packet, and the packet costs $295. Now, here's the deal. Uh, it's basically the same kids that you just saw the night before. It's the same kids. Except now they're playing in a two-day tournament. That's $295. So that lasts Thursday, Friday. Then on Saturday morning, you're going to have something called uh, the Big Shots Myrtle Beach 2. And it's another two-day tournament. Starts on Saturday morning. Basically the same kids and the same teams. But that's a new packet you have to buy. $295. So on Wednesday, Wednesday night, you're charged $295. On Thursday morning, you're charged $295, and on Saturday morning, you're charged $295. You're basically spending $900 um, over, uh, certainly over a five-day period, but really it's over a three-day period, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, even if you're only there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It, uh, or no, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So definitely over a four-day period. You're spending $900 to walk into the exact same gym in the exact same city to see mostly the same kids. It, and, and it's insane. And story after story, I get like this. Um, I had one coach tell me there was this kid who um, had been begging, uh, whatever this means, had been begging uh, his school to come look at him, right? This is a, 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 a non-Power 5 program, but still a good program. But it operates outside of the Power 5. And they didn't know if they wanted this kid. They'd never seen this kid. But the kid, like, was interested in them. And so they said, all right, the hell with it. Let's go. Uh, we'll go see the kid. He's playing like 9.30 at night in a gym somewhere. Um, it's the last game of the day for this event. This coaching staff has not been at that event previously, and they weren't coming back tomorrow. This, they were there specifically to see one kid in one game late at night. And they walked up, and the guy said, uh, $400. And he said, and the coach said, $400? I'm walking. It's 9.30. There's one game left. I'm walking in the gym to – See, this one kid who's playing in this one game, yeah, I know, $400. And the coach just said, on, on principle, I'm not paying you $400 to walk in. And, and Yeah, I'm not doing it. And so he walked out. And so when these guys say, well, we're not costing anybody an opportunity, they cost that kid an opportunity. Because if it would have been a reasonable price, that coach would have said, sure, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever, whatever. But $400, just you're out of your mind to look at me with a straight face and tell me I got to pay you $400 to walk in this gym to watch this one kid. So they, I talked to the coach the other day. He said, we still haven't seen that kid. We're not going to see that kid. Who knows? We might have seen the kid and said he's not good enough. Or we might have seen the kid offered him and he not want to come with us. But we never saw the kid. And the only reason we never saw the kid, he said, keep in mind, I'm standing at the front door of the gym. I was there. Drove my car to that gym to see this kid. Only reason I never saw the kid is because some jerk tried to pay me, for, tried to charge me $400 to see the kid. To the point you were talking about earlier, had a guy tell me, went to an event in Atlanta, like, uh, at Wheeler High School in Georgia, went to see one kid. Got there, bought the packet. It was $300, $400, whatever it was. Um, that kid's supposed to play in a game. 
against another like legitimate team. The other legitimate team didn't show up. They had to play so that this this team had to play their sixteen and under team from the same organization. Do you get your money back? Nope. It's just a waste. It's a waste of time and a waste of money. And this goes on all around the country all July. And while it doesn't matter to John Calipari and Roy Williams and Mike Krzyzewski and Thad Mata and Steve Offord and so on and so forth, guys with those kinds of budgets, at the mid-major level, low-major level, and certainly Division Two, Division Three, NAIA, and the women, I heard the women's size just as bad, if not worse. And um, it, it goes on, it cripples those programs. Like they have to, um, I know one school that didn't go out in the last week in July because it was a low major school, and they just said we can't, we don't have the money anymore. Like I can't go, we can't go out to Vegas and spend that kind of money anymore. We just got to, we're just going to stay home and work phones, and so um, it and, and spend time with our team. And so, uh, you know, the, the question becomes why, and I addressed this in the column, but two questions: what, why does the NCAA allow this, and what can be done to fix it? Um, the first question: why does the NCAA allow this? I'm told the NCAA is hesitant to get involved, like you mentioned, in, in trying to tell private businesses, private businessmen, what they can earn. Because um, when they tried to restrict the earnings of assistant coaches many, many years ago, they got sued and they lost. And it cost them a whole lot of money. Um, so they're hesitant to get back involved in another situation that could bring about lawsuits that they might lose. Because the argument from the event organizer's perspective is, you know, it's an open market. It, 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 don't tell us that we're charging too much because if we were charging too much. Nobody would come and we wouldn't there wouldn't be a market for what we're doing. Like to keep for people to understand exactly how much money we're talking about. There was one event in Birmingham. Guy was charging a thousand dollars to enter. Enter the gym cost you one thousand dollars. That's what the packet cost. And you could not get in the gym without buying the packet. One thousand dollars cost less than five hundred to get into the final four, all three games, both national semifinals and the national championship game. This guy in Birmingham charging a thousand bucks to get in the gym. So, um, so the, the, the event organizers would, would go to court and say, why are you trying to restrict what we can earn? It's an open market. Yeah. You don't tell McDonald's what they can sell hamburgers for. You don't tell uh, Best Buy what they can sell uh, televisions for. Uh, don't tell me what I can charge admission to my event for. You don't tell Guns N' Roses what they can charge. You don't tell Beyonce what they can charge to their events. Why are you telling me what I can charge? And, and that would be a, a nice legal argument. Um, so the NCAA just can't, or, or they're hesitant, I'll use that word, to get involved. Um, the only people that can change it are the people at the highest levels of the sport. But as long as they're still, but the, 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 the people at the highest levels of the sport, the, high, the Power 5 programs, here's because I've talked to a lot of people who work at that level, here's what they tell you. Of course it's insane, but it doesn't really matter to us. You know, because it doesn't really matter to them. $10,000 is nothing to a Power 5 basketball program, not to their recruiting budget. So I consistently heard from the so-called little guys, NAIA coaches, low major coaches, everybody in between. And they said, we need the high majors to take a stand and say, we're not doing this anymore. We're not paying this, these prices anymore. But they are the people who actually have the least incentive to take that stand because $10,000 out of their recruiting budget each July for these useless packets it doesn't, it doesn't matter to them. It's just pennies to them. And so it is a dilemma that I don't think will probably get fixed because there's, there's no motivation at the, at the high major level to actually fix it. It's just all crazy. It's crazy. You're right. Um, I don't think there's a ton of motivation. I had one coach suggest to me that, and this won't ever happen either, they're like, if the big boys, if the Power Five leagues consider themselves on another level and want to operate on another level, then there should be two entry prices to get into these events, to make it easier on the smaller schools. I think that's a fine, <laughs> I think that's a fine fantasy, but the fact of the matter is you'll never, ever have um, any Power 5 school or league. No, I, I will say this, though. There is t uh, often, not always, but often, some, I'll say sometimes, um, two different prices for Division 1s and Division 2s. You know, like it'll say Division One coaches, this is what the packet costs. Division Two coaches, this is what the packet costs, and it's a reduced price. Um, but that doesn't save the low majors. You know, that doesn't save a, a, a you know, a, a SWAC school. You know, that doesn't save, a, you know, what other, you know, whatever other league. Um, but but there is often a difference between a Division One price and a Division Two price. Um, but still, the Division Twos will tell you they're still charging us way too much money. The Division Threes will say they're still charging us uh, way too much money. And the other thing that goes on is. Um, you get guys who are actually like what we're talking about are just guys who run events aren't necessarily tied 
two uh, summer programs, and by extension, like the best players in the country, what you're getting now also, and I wrote about this a little bit, um, is guys who are actually tied to recruits. Like they're the recruits coaches holding, quote, combines during the live period. And they, they tell um, the coaches, like, you have to come to the combine and you have to buy a packet. Now, why on earth would you need a packet for a combine? Walk in a gym, 12 kids working out. Why do you need a packet for that? Right. All right? But you, no. but, but you, better, but you better buy it because guess who has influence over that kid you're recruiting? I do. So if you don't buy, my, so if you don't buy my packet, that's fine. But this coach bought my packet, this coach bought my packet, and this coach bought my packet. So, um, uh, you know, maybe when it comes time to sit down and tar- start figuring out where we're going to take official visits, start figuring out who we're going to seriously consider, the guys who bought the packets are going to be in a ad- uh, place of advantage. So I had one coach tell me on the night of July 6th, he went to one of these, quote, combines, and he says a total waste of time and money. But, like, the understanding is if you don't go, you're going to get blacklisted. Like you get like a guy with influence over a recruit will kill you with a recruit. So going won't guarantee you you'll get anything, but not going might get you eliminated from a recruiting uh, a situation. So you got to go. Like the whole thing is like, like this is what's going on every single July. And I'll take it a step further because I'm gonna write about this too. Because every time I write one column, I get like messages from other coaches. They say, okay, here's what you here's what you should do next. Uh, this is where it's really crazy. And I've re- actually written about this before, but I looked it up. Because like when pe- I had coaches saying, you've got to write about the scouting services. And I'd say, I, I, I re- I've written about the scouting services before. And I went and looked it up yesterday. It was 2007. that I, It was like nine years ago the, the, when I actually did write about it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, write about it again. But these guys who run events or guys who run summer programs, they have scouting services. I mean, and it is total BS. Like, you, you, it's unnecessary to ever – there is not a single Division One coach in America who benefits in any real way from subscribing to these BS scouting services outside of you're putting money in the pocket of a guy who has influence over recruits. So guess what? You're mm-hmm. subscribing. You just subscribe. Like, like, college basketball programs spend thousands of dollars every year on regional scouting services or statewide scouting services that they do not need. But if they do not subscribe, the guy who runs that scouting service might hurt them in recruiting. So you got to subscribe. And to take it even one step further, it's amazing how much energy, time, money is spent, really wasted uh, every summer for guys you're never going to get. And then, by the way, you're you're doing all this to land these guys. And now you and I agree it's not. It's not by any means an epidemic or, or necessarily a problem, but a lot of these guys, you know, really, if you look at any given class, we're, we're approaching the point where 25% of the guys you actually even get, forget about the guys you don't get, those guys won't even end up graduating or playing, you know, beyond two years at the school that they initially commit to. It's just when you really step back and look at all that's put into recruiting and all that's necessary. And at the end of the day, how many of these players will you wind up if you know if you're at a mid or a low major school? Will you wind up even coaching throughout the uh, the fulfillment of their college career? It is kind of wild, but uh, yeah, this is definitely one of those stories where it's it's a huge thing within the business, and specifically with coaches, I don't think fans are really too too aware of it, and maybe it doesn't have a tangible, immediate, touchable impact uh, that they can that they can you know, drive massive interest from, but it is definitely one of the biggest things about every live recruiting period. And uh, it will be interesting to see if if the game, so to speak, changes in the coming years. I don't suspect it will, but it does help that we have podcasts about it. You write pieces about it um, because if if there is going to be any sort of uh, way to get this under control, that's where it starts. Right. Like, I don't know that it ever changes, but I do feel a little satisfaction out of, like shining a light on it, like oh, like hey, hey, uh, Jeff Snyder for just just to name one. I, I don't mean to single him out because there's a lot of guys just like him. Um, but like, hey, if you don't think it's wrong what you're doing, if you don't think it's um, like uh, at, at its very core exploitation, if you don't think it's just fundamentally like shameful, then hey, then hey, good for you. But like, all I'm doing is telling people what you're doing. If you're not doing anything wrong, if you're not embarrassed by it. Uh, then like, then who, like, okay, don't be embarrassed by it. But it is amazing. Like there's a handful of these guys that I have reached out to. Jeff's one of them. Um, 
the guy in Birmingham who charges thousand dollars to get into his event. Thousand, like a thousand bucks. It's insane. Like I could go front row Beyonce for less than what this guy in Birmingham wants me. Once, once a college coach. Are you sure? I mean, okay. may, actually, I'm not sure of that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Front row Beyonce these days. Is I'm it, gonna say it's a, it's a good, it's a cool too. It, yeah. it might be. I'll look that up. But the point remains the same. Um, I could get front row at a lot of places for a fraction of what this guy wants college coaches to pay to come into his stupid event in Birmingham. So, like, um, I will tell you, none of those guys have responded to me. None of them. They won't ignite. They, like they don't want to talk about it because there's yeah. there's nothing good for them to say. So I do take. I, I'm not trying to uh, necessarily bring about change to college basketball. I don't know that I can because again, the only people that can, fr- frankly, is J- Mike Shashevsky, uh, John Calipari, Tom Izzo, like coaches at that level, Bill Self, who say who rally the other guys. You know how they got all they all got together, hugs and cow and and whomever else. And said, "Hey, we get, we got to figure out a way to make the NCAA tournament better. Sure. It would take something like that. Them saying, hey, we got to stand up to these guys and just say, you know, yeah, we have the money and our budgets to pay this, but that doesn't mean we should. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, it doesn't mean we should be paying this. And you are hurting the, the the smaller schools. So we're taking a stand. Lower your prices, and we ain't coming to your events. Uh, that's that's who can actually change this, not me. But I do take some satisfaction in shining a, a, a light, exposing these people." Um, for what they're actually uh, doing, and then it'll be left up to the to the the power brokers uh, who double as college basketball coaches to actually uh, to actually take a stand and, and try to bring about change if they want to. My instincts tell me uh, they don't care about this nearly as much as as the low major coach or the Division two coach or the Division three coach or the NIA coach or the women's coach because um, it doesn't affect them in in any tangible way. Uh, let's get out of here. Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. It's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Thank you all, as always, for listening. And uh, we will talk to you again next week. Uh, till then. Well, hold on, GP. I thought you were going to do that. Uh, we will not talk to them next week. Why? <laughs> You're going on vacation. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going. Actually, shout out to the listeners. If uh, if anyone's ever been to the Bethany Beach, Delaware area um, and has any recommendations for eats or anything like that hit me at matt norlander i'm not quite sure what i'm going to do i'm actually going on a a uh, a family reunion on my wife's side oh, so wow. um that should be something that i guess something. uh but you know what do what you got to do and uh and yeah i got to bring uh, you know an eight and a half month old to the beach so i'm sure that will be stress-free and totally worth it you know what here's because I, I went to the beach earlier this summer uh and i have taken let me see. The first time we took Oliver to the beach. So he was born December and it was probably like late June. So it was like six months. Right. So like not not too much different. It's miserable. Like, well, there's nothing for a baby to do at the beach. And I'll take it a step further. Even having children at the beach, small children like. Yeah. And I, who was I talking to about this? There was a, a, a college coach when we were out in Vegas and I was talking to him about about this exactly. Um, because he was taking his family to Disney World. And he was like, you know, here's the thing about Disney World. It's exhausting because you're going all day, but nobody ever, but you are going all day. Nobody gets bored. There's like always a next thing to do. He said, I take my kids to the beach and it's like, hey, we get in the water for about 25 minutes and, 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 and then the, uh, that gets boring. And then you get, you throw the, hey, you want to throw the Frisbee around? And they, they probably don't, but they'll do it for about 15 minutes. And then it's like, okay, what next? Like, uh, beaches are great for adults who just want to lay on the beach and drink a beer. It, but, like, like what do kids like, – I don't – maybe if we grew up on beaches, like, we'd, we'd be out there surfing all day or whatever, if my kids did. But every time I've ever been to the beach with my kids, it's either been a disaster or you get, bo- you get bored pretty quickly. Like, all right, it's – all right, it's 10, 15 in the morning. We've been out here for an hour. What's next? What do you – like, what do you do at the beach? Like, if you take your children to the beach – what do you do all day long? No idea. We have this contraption we bought, like literally this thing. I don't even know what it is. My wife bought it. I haven't even opened it up. I'm okay. But it's something that will apparently cover him, and it's like a little jail cell you bring. I don't even know, man. <laughs> I, I don't it, even know. Well, that's my thing. Like, what do you do? And I'm not even talking about with an eight, eight and a half month old. I'm talking about with a three year old, with a six year old. Like, don't you sandcastle and that's about it. See, I oh, this is the other problem. Like, because I did have somebody say this. Well, like you build a sandcastle or like you let your kids bury you in the sand. I hate sand. I hate the way it feels. I can't touch. it. I don't even like getting in bunkers, especially pot bunkers. 
Um, I don't I don't like the texture of sand. I hate the beach. I never want to go to the beach, but it is like the family thing to do. Hey, let's go to the well, beach. Yeah. Uh, with yeah, okay, that's that's a great point though. Um I like looking at the beach. That's, like, what, I, that's what I always tell Kelly. I say, I say, here's what I don't like going to the beach. I like looking at the beach. So like, let's 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 rent a place where uh, I can sit on the porch and like you can go down on, to the beach and run around and I'll walk down there with you for a minute. But mostly, I just want to look at the beach. That's I want to sit in a chair and look at the beach. That's what I find fun about the beach. Actually, like being on the beach, I got no interest in that. Well, you make you make a great point in that the. The concept and reality of sand is only enjoyable when you are truly like in beach mode and either going into the water or like playing beach volleyball. Other than that, sand is brutal. Like I it's, hate it's, sand. It's absolutely terrible. Um, as for the beach, it's all like I love actually. I love getting up at like seven a.m. and running on the beach when no one's on it. I think what? that's pretty. Cool. Yeah, man, I love running. Running on the beach is genuinely like a really fun thing to do if you're into, you know, fitness and, and doing that before it gets brutally hot out. That I don't mind. And yeah, I'm going to bring the boogie board. I like catching the waves. Do you not ride? The, you don't like riding in the waves, like catching a big wave? That's great stuff, man. I don't I don't even know how to do like it feels like something I'd have to work at. And I, I you know, I, what, what I'm on. The you, know, actually, you know, sometimes you will stand out there for like 10 minutes. Yeah. Like a jackass waiting for that one really good one. That's, and you catch it otherwise. Yeah, nah, it doesn't seem interesting to me. And then you add in the shark factor. Like, I ain't trying to lose an arm, you know? Like, I ain't trying to lose an arm. It's not the shock, it's not the shark factor that bothers me. You know what it is? Hmm. It's the freaking jellyfish, man. That's, that's where it can, get, uh, it can get dicey. That's where – because you can't even enjoy yourself. If you see one, you know there are another 600 underneath the surface. You don't know where they are. And then if you get stung – you got to pee on yourself and it's just a whole process. What, yeah. What is the, like somebody needs to explain to me what's so fun about the beach. Like I'm da- I know it's beautiful. I like to sit on a balcony and look at it, watch the waves come in, listen to it. I love all that. I'm down with that, but somebody's going to have to convince me. And, and like at this point, like if there was something awesome to do at the beach for, for many hours in a row, I'd have figured it out. I'm 39 years old, been going to beach my whole life. Like I'd have probably discovered it by now. I generally agree with you, and, and the last thing is that the one thing I've never been able to do that I, when you go to the beach, you see everyone doing, and I cannot find enjoyment of this, is when they just simply lay on a towel for two hours and get sun. Like, I get restless, man. I can't, plus, like, you know, I can't just close my eyes, look, like, the sun's too bright. I, I don't get how people do that, even with sunglasses on. Like, it'll bother me. I don't get how people can do that. They'll just sit out there for two to four hours doing nothing not reading, just trying to take a nap. False. I don't get it. See, that's the thing I actually can do. Like, I can't it, like, do that. Like, I can. I am very capable of going out to the beach, sitting there or lying there with a drink, and just like, and and I put in uh, iPhone uh, headphones and like listening to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, just listening to replays of myself over and over again, or yeah. or music. I could get down with that, but that ain't what the beach is when you got kids. Like when you got kids, you got to play with your kids. Maybe I just don't like playing with my kids. Well, that's always in the case. <laughs> no, it's not true. So, so anyway, we'll uh, we'll podcast after I get back. From- Maybe I love the beach, just hate my kids. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I'm gonna have to think about this a little bit more. But I hope you have fun. Uh, I'm gonna get at least a couple of rounds of golfing in the area, so that will be. Ooh, you better be real golf. You're good at that. Top golf, not so much. Okay, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna wrap, hold on. We're wrapping this podcast up, but I'm we're actually we're 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 settling this right now. So we go to Top Golf, this great spot in Vegas. I cannot recommend it enough. There are plenty around the uh, the country. Although if you live in the Northeast like me, you're uh, you're SOL because the closest ones in Virginia. So anyway, um, we play the first. There are a bunch of targets. Like you go look at Top Golf. Go look it up. It's a really awesome concept, and it's a lot of fun. It's one of those things where. If you even just get a group of three of your buddies, there's there's no way you cannot enjoy yourself, and it is relatively reasonably priced for what you experience. I actually expected it to be a little uh, pricier than what it was, so I had a great time. But you go and you hit you hit targets. It's basically like a driving range with a restaurant and a bar, and you have a bunch of targets out there that you try and hit into. And it's in that way, it's almost like a a quasi golf bowling kind of thing. right and it's just so people understand your balls are um like there's a chip in them or so i don't know how it works i don't understand the technology yeah, yeah, they, like, but 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 it's that ball is connected to you so when you hit it whatever target it goes in 
or in your case, misses completely, um, you get points and it comes up on a, on a screen exactly like bowling. Like when you throw a bowling ball, you knock down eight pins, it, it puts eight up there. Every time you hit a golf ball, it puts your score right up on this computer screen. So it's not like you're trying to keep track of what's going on. The, once you hit the ball, the score is going to pop up. Without a doubt, and Parrish is a Parrish is a more competitive person than he than he leads on. I think now he did he did great on the first round of Top Golf. He beat everyone. He beat me, Borzello, and Goodman. And actually, I have video of Goodman trying to to swing a club, uh, and he did okay sometimes. But when we actually had to chip, is when he had some issues. <laughs> it is it honestly. I was showing some coaches uh, the day after at some of the games, and just dying laughing in the stands. Um, so the second round we play. Uh, I'm on the way to victory. Uh, now, granted, it was the game that that the other three uh, boobs had serious issues with because, see, golf is not just strictly a game of power. It's a game of short distances. So this involved chipping from 20 yards, 40 yards away. None of you guys really had the, had the skill to keep up with me, so you had an issue with that. So I, I beat you in that regard. Now, Paris was on his way to making it interesting I accidentally hit a few of his balls, so he wanted to negate that entire round and claim he won that. Did not happen. He wasn't going to lose. And then the but, but you acknowledge you acknowledge you, you acknowledge you cheated. You acknowledge you cheated. There was an it was an inadvertent issue. And then you, on the I'm not saying round, it was intentional, on but you cheated. Third round on You're the third game. Top golf cheater. Hashtag top golf cheater. When our time expired, I was beating you. So you want to claim like you kept claiming the rest of the night that you beat me all three rounds. One that didn't happen, and two, I actually beat you in real golf. So I, let's I, tell it for what it is. Yeah. Okay, first off, we're not here to talk about real golf. We're only talking about Top Golf. I destroyed everybody first round of Top Golf. You cheated inadvertently, but you cheated second round of Top Golf, and third round of Top Golf. We didn't get the finish. So, like, what are we talking about? Who won? I, there was only one pure round that we played. One round where nobody cheated, and we just got to look at the scores at the end of the competition, and that's the round that I won. That means I'm the winner. All right, man. Listen. If it makes you feel better that it way, it does make me feel better that way. It does. I feel does. better that way. Parrish has this thing where if he wins something or if something interesting or something completely bizarre happens, he'll just bring it up. <laughs> it's an awkward silence in a group or just like a moment of pause. He'll just be like, "Yeah, this is this is the perfect opportunity for me to remind everyone <laughs> what happened." So, anyway, oh no, it was a great time though. That's like that's mandatory. At least for me, every time we go back to Vegas, that was too fun not to return. Yeah, every I think every year we go to Vegas, there's two definites: one, um, Top Golf, and two, Kim. Car- we gotta go see Kim Kardashian. Yeah, I knew that was coming. Too. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, hey, uh, good luck at the beach. Have, enjoy yourself as as best you can, and uh, we'll talk about it whenever we talk about it. How about that, Deal? Yep. I'll see you later. Bye bye.